definitely sending business to other peers and people in our network has been super beneficial to us. Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome to the Web Equity Show. I'm your host, Justin Cook, and I'm here with my co-host, Ace Chapman. And today we're talking how to find seven and eight figure deals. Good to be back on the show, buddy. Yeah, it is good to be with you as well. As as you know, Justin, in 2018 and 19, one of my goals has been to increase the deal flow when it comes to seven and eight figure deals. It's actually happened a little bit. And some of that is I've seen you guys have a lot of growth there as well. Yeah, man. I mean, a lot of our growth is due to doing larger deals, right? So we've moved into seven figures and we're looking towards eight. We're like mid seven figures right now trying to get those deals done, but we're heading in that direction. So that's why I think it's it's interesting to talk about. We can talk about the seven figure deals we've done and the eight figure deals we're, we're looking to do. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the growth at Empire Flippers has come through, you know, just doing larger deals and getting more involved in that side of the business. So one of the things that I realized is while some of these deals you're going to find with the brokers and they'll be just on the market and you'll see them, I want to talk today about some of the other places that we found those deals. You know, our largest deal over the last year was a $5 million deal and it was an off-market deal. So today I know the listeners are going to be excited. We're getting into how do you find these seven, eight-figure deals off-market. Yeah, these are the monsters. And I get this question a lot, dude. I, I'm sure you get this question a lot. Is like, how do I find the really good deals? Where are all these off-market deals? And we'll talk about what good deals are. We're going to talk about some of the advantages and disadvantages of both on-market and off-market deals. There are some advantages. You can find some real steals, but it may take quite a bit of time, and you may have to be pretty patient. And we'll talk about some of the reasons for that. Before we do that, buddy, let's do some listener love. First up, we've got another five-star iTunes review. This comes from Syruk. It says, very informative. This is a great podcast with a lot of in-depth knowledge. Unlike other podcasts I find where the hosts or guests and only give big ticket and very obvious examples, this podcast gives small details and very specific examples. As a beginner in the world of web buying and selling, this site was invaluable. Well, I appreciate the review, and I'm glad you found this valuable. We've also got a question, Ace. It's from Rick. Rick is getting started, and he said... Hey guys, I just started listening to your podcast. Let me start by thanking you for putting up such an informative show. Brand new to this world of website purchasing, I started listening to the podcast during season one, episode one, and moving on, some of the topics brought up I'm still unfamiliar with or not at that point yet. My question is, is there a recommended order to listening to the podcast? I noticed season two seems to be more for beginners. Should I start there and go back to season one? Thank you. Well, thank you, Rick, for the question. Uh, We were talking about this before we get on the show, Ace. I mean... Season two, we really start off for newbies and how to buy websites. And we really start with the basics and definitions. I think that's probably the best place to start. What do you think, man? Yeah, I agree. I mean, when we first started the podcast, we were a little bit all over the place. We didn't know where we wanted to head, what the show was going to look like, but we wanted to get started because there was just a lot of demand for that kind of content. And after that, we really planned out each season. So I would probably say literally going two, three, maybe back to one, but you could do two, three, four, and then back to one. 
Yeah, that's funny. Season one was kind of all over the place, and we didn't know if the show was going to stick. We thought we'd try it out; it might be kind of fun. And and when we said, "Hey, this is something we want to continue," we said, "All right, buddy, let's get let's get serious with this, and let's like really kind of plan out for our listeners and have something that we can refer people to when they're looking to buy or they're looking to sell and looking to get started in the industry." So I agree, man. Season two, then season three about how to sell a business, and then probably season one, and then season four where we're talking about obviously the larger deals as people continue to level up. All right, man, enough about that. Let's get into the show. Let's do it. All right, so we're talking finding seven and eight figure deals, and we need to talk about places you can look. Yeah, and we talk about looking for offline deals, but why try to climb to the top of the tree before you get the fruit that's, or at least look at the fruit that's at the lowest hanging point? So the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to deals is obviously brokers. And I'm sitting here with Justin, but we all know there are other brokers besides Empire Flippers. And, you know, some of them include Quiet Light Brokerage, Digital X's, Ryan over at Digital Acquisitions, and there are plenty of them. So when it comes to doing these deals, and working with brokers, you don't want to ignore the brokers because they have these seven-figure listings and they could end up listing one that is the perfect match for you. And if you're totally ignoring those brokers, you could miss out on those deals. With some of the brokers, every once in a while, I've seen them come across those eight-figure listings as well. And it's super, super rare right now. I think partly because there are only so many of those businesses that are going to come to our space and sell because a lot of them are trying to eventually go public or they're dealing with venture capital firms where the multiples are way beyond anything we want to consider. But when you get into those eight-figure listings and you have a broker that's representing them and it's one of the brokers in our space, sometimes those multiples can be really amazing. So what are the advantages to dealing with the broker? Like I said, it's the lowest hanging fruit. These deals are easiest to find. The broker has done all of that work for you. Instead of you doing the work, you're paying them to do it. They're bringing you the deal. And then you have somebody who's professionally reviewed the deal. So they hopefully have vetted the business. You're going to have a process to, and we'll talk a little bit later about what it takes to get these off-market businesses. It's work. So to have somebody who is doing that work for you, you don't want to discount that. I think sometimes people look at the own market deals and like, oh, well, this is own market. And so, uh, you know, it's not as valuable. But the truth is having somebody who's found that deal for you, done that initial work, and people don't appreciate that work until you start to source off market deals, having somebody who is going to walk you through the process, and then somebody who has hopefully vetted the business to some degree, bring that deal to you is really valuable. Yeah, most brokers are going to have some kind of process they put the deals through, that they review, they're going to deny some listings and take on others. So yeah, they've been somewhat vetted. I also just the professional process you get to deal with, and brokers have different processes, but it's generally their pros, right? We'll get into this a little bit later, but when you're dealing with entrepreneurs or founders, it can be a bit of a struggle because they're either too close to the business, they're not, you know, they're professional entrepreneurs, but they're not professional brokers. They're not selling businesses as a profession, right? So that's, it's a little different when you're dealing with a pro. Yeah, I've heard the statistic that's about 88% of businesses that sell are sold by sellers that are first-time sellers. So when you're dealing with those people, they've built a great business. They're smart. They're intelligent. They just don't have experience selling a business. And what a broker does is kind of train them on what that's going to look like. And they just don't trust you as the buyer as much to train them. 
So let's talk about the disadvantages. You know, the disadvantages, hey, you're going to pay a commission and you're going to pay retail. The job of that broker is to get their seller the best possible deal. You want to understand that the seller is their client. They have a contract with that seller. They don't necessarily have a contract to represent you. So they want to get their client the best possible deal. And that's something that you come to the table knowing. Now, I say retail, but one of the things that I'm when I'm talking to people now that I have to remind them is that retail in this space, when you're talking three, four times earnings is kind of where we're at right now with some of the deals that are this size. It's still amazing compared to every other asset out there. So don't get too bummed about paying retail if it still ends up giving you an amazing ROI. The second thing is the disadvantage. You won't find those eight-figure deals. Like I said, those deals are uh, just few and far between. I've seen them every once in a while. If it is a really great deal, now you're competing against private equity funds. So they might get gobbled up really quickly. And to get those eight-figure deals, like we're going to talk about later, in a lot of cases, you do have to do the work to get those deals. And the other downside to working with the broker is that there's going to be more competition and less flexibility to negotiate. We talked a little bit about this in the deal structuring call from last season. But when you are doing these kinds of deals and you're working with a broker, sometimes the seller just doesn't understand when you're trying to do this complicated thing and they have somebody else that doesn't have a complicated deal structure and isn't as aggressive. They're just going to go with the thing that's the easiest to understand, you know, doesn't take a bunch of negotiation, doesn't take a bunch of figuring out. And that can be a disadvantage when you're, especially when you're dealing with a seven, eight figure deal and you're not able to get in there and really do the deal structuring. Yeah. Another disadvantage I'd mention is, you know, and this isn't necessarily the case with the brokers you mentioned, Quiet Light, us, digital acquisitions, acquisitions. I mean, we're all doing good deals. We're denying some, we're accepting that those things we think are good. But that caveat being said, there is a case of like lipstick on a pig, right? I mean, it's it's a little, they, they get dressed up. I don't know if you've ever seen like, you know, Airbnb, if any of our listeners are regulars on Airbnb, but you'll see like the places where it's kind of like the place looks a little dark, like the lighting doesn't look fantastic. Or you see this on real estate listings too, where it just, it looks a little off and you're like, oh, and then someone else goes in that same exact place and does the right lighting and does the right angle for the room. And you're like, oh, it's so bright and airy. It's amazing. That's what we're doing as brokers, right? We're taking the good angles. We're doing the good lighting. We're making the place look awesome. So just know that, you know, and as a buyer, you're going to have to spend some time really digging into the deal because you want to know the nooks and crannies. You want to know what's it look like when the lipstick's off. You know, what does he or she look like when they wake up at seven in the morning with no stuff on their face? So you want the, you want the, I think that analogy a little too far, but you get what I'm saying. You want the real deal. All right, man. So let's talk about point number two. And the second place you can go to are, you know, you can look towards your professional network. And by professional network, you know, we mean attorneys, we mean accountants, we mean financial advisors, we mean angel investors, you know, the professionals around you, professional services and providers around you have access to a lot of deal flow that you may not be aware of. And this just points to kind of the advantage to building out your network. One of them can be deal flow. And you know, the people I know that are looking for these kind of like seven figure acquisitions, the ones that struggle are the ones that don't have a professional network built around. They haven't done it over the years. They haven't invested in that. And so they're not able to hear about the deals that are going on. One of the things you can do with this network is let your attorneys, your accountants, your financial advisors, let them know that you're looking for deals, 
right? Telling people what you're trying to do gives them an opportunity to help you. And if you let them know, look, hey, I'm open to and looking for deals, and you know they know that you have access to the capital to acquire those deals, they may have some clients that are looking to sell. So if they hear of anything, they can turn you on to deals that are just completely off market. So let's talk advantages of this. I mean, as I just mentioned, these there are many off market deals that are available through your network. I mean, a lot of times accountants and attorneys, you're working with the kind of businesses you'd like to acquire and it gives you access to them. There's also a lot less competition. A lot of these people aren't necessarily looking to sell, but if they find out that someone's cashed up and looking to purchase, they're looking to spend their money, that may make them a little more interested. So if you let your attorney, you let your accountant know, they can kind of spread the word and let people know and you're able to get access to deals that you know weren't for sale at all. They're also generally pre-vetted by your network. So if your attorney is their attorney or your accountant has worked with these guys before, you know, they have some sense of how they're doing financially, you know, what kind of deal it is. And you're just kind of in better shape because these are people that have worked with this business or have worked with these entrepreneurs or founders in the past. So what I would do is even put these in order. I've done a ton of deals with accountants and I would say accountants are number one to do deals with that you get a ton of trust when I've had accountants sell businesses for me and it was the easiest transactions ever. Just quick and easy. Both parties are sometimes using the same accountant. The accountant knows the numbers. They're a licensed CPA. They're not just throwing numbers around and that kind of thing. So you have a lot more trust really than a broker. After that, I would say angel investors are a really great source than advisors. And then I would put attorneys last personally, just because they can be an absolute pain to deal with. They will send you deals. And then, you know, I just remember there was one deal that we were negotiating and the attorney who was referring to the deal, not the contract, the escrow agreement was 15 pages long. The escrow agreement, like this is totally separate from the LOI or the contract. So, you know, you just, you get into a different world when you're dealing with the attorney mindset. So that's kind of the order that I would hit those personally. It's interesting when you're working with attorneys that have dealt with M&A before or dealt with acquisitions, like there just seemed to be a little bit better at getting the deals done. But we've had some attorney nightmares where you have like like three parties of attorneys, like our attorney, the buyer's attorney, and the seller's attorney. And if one or more of them is brand new to this, oh God, man, it can be an absolute nightmare because they're like, I mean, they're getting you know, billed by the hour. They're cutting this line. The other person wants it back. They're changing it around. And even our customers, the buyers and sellers and us, everyone's just kind of like, okay, guys, can you, I know what you're doing here. Can we just get this deal done? Sometimes it takes that. It takes us or the buyer or the seller to just kind of like cut the crap and say, okay, let's, let's get back to business here. All right, man, nice little tangent about attorneys. Let's talk about some of the disadvantages of using a professional network. The first one is a lack of consistency, right? So if you're dealing with, you know, accountants, you're dealing with, you know, angel investors, you're dealing with attorneys, they don't have deals all the time. And so you may get like two or three options pop up in one month and then go dry for 10 months, right? Because they just don't have anything or, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And so relying on a professional network for deals just isn't going to happen. And if you're cashed up and you're letting that cash just sit there, you know, not earning your return, not making you money, you know, waiting 10 months, 18 months, 24 months may not be in the cards for you. And that's how long you may have to wait with your professional network, depending on how many deals they can provide. Another problem is that it may be a struggle for them to match your criteria. So if you're looking for a SaaS business in this particular space, and you want it to be this amount of money, and 
you might have an even more difficult time using your network because they may not have access to exactly the right deal. If you're more open, if your criteria is open and you have a wider range of deals you're willing to look at in terms of price, in terms of industries, this can be effective. But if you're a little more strict, even a little strict here, they may just not have enough deal flow to get you the deals you need to see to make one happen in your in your range. And that's a real key to these is that there are not a lot of deals that they're doing. That's not their first kind of priority when they're looking at their business plan each year is how can I send more deals out to potential clients? And one of the things that I like to do is just to put the pressure on. Now, I'm not talking about put pressure on, like strong arming them. If you send them business, that's the best way to get them to make sure that when they do get a deal, and that's what's crucial, you just want to make sure when they get that really great deal that they send it to you. And I found the best way to do that is for you to go into your network and say, hey, if anybody's looking for accounting, here's who I recommend. You know, how can I help an angel investor and be sending them potential deals? And so with each one of those, you want to figure out, all right, how can I help this person? And that's what's going to keep you top of mind so that you know when they do get a deal and they get that one of the four deals that they're going to get in the year, they're going to send it to you. Honestly, Ace, I found that super valuable with Empire Flippers. I mean, we deal with a lot of professionals in our network, both, you know, in kind of our work at Empire Flippers and stuff we do, but also kind of our content marketing and and everything we do. But like when we send business to other professionals, it just endears them to us. It gets them way more likely to mention us, to mention us to people that are looking to sell their business, people are looking to buy businesses. So yeah, definitely sending business to other peers and people in our network has been super beneficial to us. So let's talk about another source. You know, you get outside of the brokers, you get outside of building this network of professionals, and now it's time to start just going direct to companies. And this is where people have a tough time because, hey, there are billion websites. How in the world am I going to figure out which one of these sites I should go after and what makes sense? One of the things you have to do is is make sure you know the market so you can go after industry leaders. And it's that in-between place that you want to be. You want to be in the market of industry where you're going after industry leaders, but obviously we're not buying billion dollar companies here. So, you know, examples would be the Jungle Scouts of the world, the Time Doctors of the world, or, you know, there was a, a recent deal in that range where Long Tail Pro was sold. So those businesses where, you know, they're not these venture back billion dollar industry leaders, they're in the niche industries, but they do kind of control that little niche, but it's only so big. You know, they're only the average consumer is not getting on Loan Tail Pro. They could absolutely care less. The market is only so big for that SaaS. So when you're going after these, the most powerful way to get into even a discussion about buying these companies is to have some kind of in with the company. The easiest way is just getting on LinkedIn, going to Google and starting to build your network and having discussions and letting people know that you might be interested once the company comes up for sale. These things are usually not going to be for sale when you reach out. And so what you're doing is building a marketing funnel. It's just like having leads in your marketing funnel where you're building relationships, you're building your network, and you know it could be months, it could be years, but one day that entrepreneur is going to wake up and they're going to be either bored with their business or hate the fact that they don't have more time with their family or just want to do something totally new. And you want to be the person that they think of to call when that happens. So what are the advantages to this? Today, there are plenty of seven and eight figure businesses. You know, I remember 
19 years ago when I was first doing deals, there were really only two kinds of deals at that point. There were the very tiny business. There weren't a lot of seven-figure businesses. There were a ton of tiny things. So people were just kind of getting started on the internet and figuring it out as just ordinary entrepreneurs. And then there were the venture-built, multi-billion dollar business. Today, there are actually plenty of these niche industry leaders that are in that eight-figure or seven-figure target market. The other thing that is exciting is that you can target a certain niche and you are in control. Unlike the brokers when they're bringing you deals or your professional network, you can control the businesses that you want to go after and the ones that fit your criteria for what you think is going to grow. And you know, once those people come back to you that you're buying the business or you're getting leads that are in your wheelhouse, as opposed to having to filter through a lot of things and having to say no a lot. And the most powerful thing here is that there's a lot less competition. And when you build the relationship the right way, they don't really care to have competition. A lot of these entrepreneurs don't want to bring their business to market. They just don't have anybody that's sitting there that's ready, that is interested in buying their business, and that's giving them a fair offer. So a lot of times, if you can help them avoid having to go through the process of being on the market, they're happy to sell with less competition as long as they're happy with the deal and the structure and the price that you come up with to acquire the company. Yeah, it's nice to be able to target the exact niche or the exact type of company you'd like to acquire. And it's, you know, like you said, it's like a blue ocean, right? There's just a ton of seven and eight figure deals out there that are potentially acquirable. And then you can pick the exact one you want. And the fact that there's less competition, I mean, there's less, you know, there may be like the seven figure deal in particular, maybe like a low eight figure deal, maybe too small for the private equity or the investment banks. It's just not a big enough deal for them to bother with. So you're kind of in that weird spot, you know, you're buying a five, $6 million business, you're in this weird spot where it's not big enough for private equity, but it's too big for most of the people looking for deals in the like six figure range, right? So you're in that kind of like sweet spot that can be fantastic for acquisitions and allow you to do, you know, interesting financing, creative financing with the sellers that know they're in that spot. So yeah, those are the advantages to doing these kinds of deals. And I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're sitting across the table from that seller and you're able to talk to them and explain your deal structure, you can get a lot better deal than you're ever going to get trying to work through an intermediary. So those are the advantages. Obviously, there are some disadvantages. And the biggest one is, like I mentioned before, when I was talking about the brokers, there is a ton of work involved with getting off-market deal flow this way. You're going to get a ton of no's. You're going to have people that honestly never even reach back out to you <laughs> to say no. You just hear crickets. But eventually, you know, we know that these kind of deals happen. And so you have to be willing to do that work to get to the yes. The other thing is that it's going to take a lot of time just to build rapport and even get to that conversation of, hey, do you think you'd ever be interested in selling? It can be a bit of a turnoff for some sellers, especially if they're like, hey, I'm in hustle mode. I'm growing my business. You know, I love this thing. And then you email them about buying their business without building some rapport first. That can be a turnoff. And then you have to secondly build up to the point where they trust you to start sharing information 
solution after they do want to sell. You know, sometimes people feel that this protection that, you know, it may be real or fantasy using an intermediary. But if you come in and you're direct to them, they don't know, hey, maybe this person's really from a competitor and they're trying to come in and take our secret sauce. And you have to get over those kinds of concerns. And the only way to do that is time and building rapport. And the last disadvantage here is at the end of the day, industry leaders realize that they're industry leaders. <laughs> you know, they're not like shocked that they're and they know the work that is taken to get to where they're at. Typically, they're going to want a premium. And it makes it a lot easier when you're willing to pay a premium. A book that I love about all of this stuff is Barbarians at the Gate. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, it's like a 600 page book about a single deal. And one of the things that's interesting is that in each investment bank is basically trying to figure out how can we work this deal and structure this deal to pay the most money? And that's what you want to do when you're looking at deals like this as well is I want to be smart. I want to get a great ROI. But how can I show this seller that even compared to what's on the market, they're getting a premium. So there's no reason to go to anybody else but me. One of the other thing that's a little tough with these like industry leaders and these niche or boutique industries is they've often got business analysts from these private equity groups or investment banks like hunting them, right? So they've got business analysts that are just all day working LinkedIn or whatever, trying to like, you know, drum up deals. And so they're contacting them all the time and kind of saying, oh, maybe we can help you sell, maybe we can help you sell. And they're likely too small, but business analysts are looking up and down the chain, right? So it may be too small, but they may have gotten an idea in their head, either through that or by watching Shark Tank or whatever, that they're worth a gazillion dollars. They're thinking like Silicon Valley money when that's just not the case for them. So if you can gently kind of break them from that, even though they're leaders and they're niche, you know, that's just not a realistic multiple. It may take some time, but if you can kind of get them off of that path and back down to, to real world numbers, you may have found yourself a deal. All right, man, let's look at another way to do it. Instead of just focusing on industry leaders and niche industries, there's another way to do it. And that's through tier two competitors. So in this approach, you're going to look for tier two competitors in mid-size industries. Think company like AMZ Tracker to the industry leader, Jungle Scout. Think JVZoo to ClickBank, right? So what you're going to do is you're going to look at the like 10 million to 100 million plus industry leaders and say, okay, who are their competitors, right? Here's a 40, $50 million company. Who's trying to be them? And they're at the $8 million, the $15 million level. Who's at a $20 million level and has competitors that are you know, worth three, four, $5 million? And let's start targeting them. Uh, one of the benefits of this is that instead of just looking for the industry leader in some niche industry, you've now got multiple competitors you can deal with. So you may have three, four, five, eight, 15 competitors that you can talk to that you can start shopping and take a look at kind of how they work and what makes their business tick. So some of the advantages to this approach is again, you know, you get to choose the niche of the industry that works for you. Unlike a broker who's just bringing you the deals you have or, you know, relying on a professional network to kind of, you know, send you deals where they, you know, made a connection. They know someone that might be interested in selling their business. You're able to specifically target the ones that make sense and do some research, you know, from the get-go. Another advantage is that you can name drop other competitors. So you can let this tier two know that you've talked to the tier one, you've talked to other tier twos, and you're in, you know, in contact with them and that you're looking to acquire. That lets them know that you're serious, that you're really having these conversations. And there's also a little bit 
to fear loss, right? When you've got a big daddy in your niche, someone that's ahead of you, you've got these other competitors, you know, the industry's heating up, everyone's kind of battling for position and market share, name dropping competitors uh, can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you go in, you got to have some kind of leverage and you want to figure out when you're going in what your leverage is going to be. And that's a great one. If you have some experience in the industry, that's a great one. If you've got a ton of cash, whatever the case is, you want to go in and be able to use a little bit of leverage. And that's what you're doing there when you kind of name drop a competitor. Talking about some of the disadvantages of these tier two competitors, again, you're going to get lots of no's, right? And because you're shopping multiple competitors, you're going to get you know, plenty of no's. And like you said, sometimes they're just not getting back to you at all. If you're doing a you know a direct cold email, you're going to get more no's than if you've used your network or you found other ends. So do try to be creative in your approach. If you find you know that you know someone who knows the founders that can get you in, that's always much more helpful than some cold contact form or cold email, some email you scraped. So definitely use your network to your advantage. We're talking a lot about network in this episode, Ace, and I think that goes to show how important it is. Another disadvantage is that a lot of times these tier two competitors might be less interested in selling if they're in a really hot, really growing market. If they've got a, you know, their industry leaders really taking off and they're really starting to gain market share on them and they're kind of riding the wave, they might just be less interested in selling because they see kind of the promise of the industry. It really just kind of depends on the position they're in. So, you know, if the industry is really hot, just expect to pay a premium. But, you know, that shouldn't shy you away if you're, you know, the industry and you've got some competitive advantage that makes you want to get into it. Yeah. At this point, you're only doing these deals if you recognize that you're willing to pay a premium and that you're just in a world where in some cases, not so much a premium. It's just what the deals go for. You know, you can end up paying a five, six multiple in some cases for these deals. But that is, you know, what you're able to sell it for as well in that range. So it's not so much that they want more than what the market is really paying. It's just that, hey, this is what the market is paying here. In this space, once you get to these kinds of deals, there are enough small private equity firms, enough small investment banks that are also reaching out to these people, telling them, hey, this is what we can get you. And so just understand that once you get to this level, you are competing against other investment banks. They're not just sitting there with no idea about the value of the asset that they're sitting on. So let's talk about this, the last spot that I think a lot of people overlook or just aren't aware of. And it's private equity groups and online investment banking networking sites. So this is something that I've used for a long time. Honestly, if I'm comparing it to me building my own network, going after accounts and that kind of thing, I get a lot better deal from those sources. We kind of end up back. It's kind of an underground place to look for deals. And like I mentioned with brokers, you always want to be in the market. You want to know what's going on. But the interesting thing is, you know, when you're dealing with these, it's the same case as those tier two competitors. We're in a market where we can get some amazing deals. And that's why when you're talking about buying a seven figure deal at a premium, I'm all for it is because I know what the investment banks and what private equity groups are willing to pay. And they're still making, you know, incredible returns for themselves and their investors. But some examples of these networks are foundersib.com. Copley Equity is another one. One that has a ton of content, which is interesting, is investmentbank.com. 
And the last one is Axiel.com, and that's A-X-I-A-L.com. So each one of these is essentially a network. There are investment bankers that are part of this network. There are some sellers that are directly coming to these networks to sell their business. And then there are private equity firms that are buyers and a few individual buyers as well. The benefits is you end up with this large network of deals. You get to review deals, look at deals, and just the education that really I feel like you need before you start to go direct to some of those niche industry leaders or some of those tier two competitors. All of those people are going to expect that you're pretty knowledgeable about what's going on in their space and what's going on with those sides of deals. And this is a great way to, to keep your finger on the pulse of that seven, eight figure deal marketplace. The other great thing is they turn down a lot of deals. And, you know, the Axial doesn't just allow anybody to post up a deal and say, oh, great, you're, you know, you've got this opportunity posted. People can take a look at it. If it looks sketchy or it's not really making money or it looks fake, they'll take down those deals. And it can be expensive to put deals up there. So that deters a lot of the riffraff, if you will. So what are the advantages to working in these networks? Number one is there are some high quality pre-qualified deals. Like I mentioned, in addition, you're getting to review those, and that's an education in and of itself. And then the network also has a lot of investors, so you can end up raising capital to help get the deal done, which is a great bonus as well. Yeah, it's interesting, Ace. I'm really glad you brought this up because I have just less experience with these guys than you do. I mean, there's something you deal with more often. We get reached out to all the time by these guys looking to get an idea on like what kind of inventory we have, what kind of business we have for sale. And inevitably, they're always too small, you know, because we're on the low to mid seven figure range. And they're just too small for most of these guys. We run through the numbers and they're like, oh, I can't do it. Oh, I can't do it. I think as we start to bring in larger deals, high seven, low eight, now we'll be starting to move into their territory. But yeah, the like under 5 million, they typically aren't looking to buy. They're just too small of deals. Do you find any like high seven figure deals available through kind of their sites? Yeah. So there are definitely high seven figure deals. The biggest issue with their high seven figure deals is that it's really our low seven figure deal that they put a high multiple on (laughs) to try to get into that world. And so what some people do is, you know, instead of saying like, oh, yeah, like we've got this four million dollar deal, they say, oh, it's a nine million dollar deal. But then you dig in and realize, oh, it's not really it's really a four million dollar deal. And they're just trying to sell at an outrageous premium. So just go in and understand that you're in a different world than, than dealing with some of the brokers that we talked about before. And it's still some work to dig through there and find those businesses. And you're also up against some investors with some real cash and they don't mind coming into a $10 million deal and putting $5 million down on that business. So it's a place where you're going to want to go in, get the lay of the land. And actually, one of the disadvantages is you also won't have to make serious connections. This isn't a dealing with a broker. It's not like going to, oh, this is like large flipper. <laughs> I'm going to go in here, we'll bid on uh, some sites, and maybe I'll get one, maybe I won't. Everybody is just an intro. You know, everybody understands that, hey, these things take a long time. A lot of the deals fall through when you get into this high seven figure eight, 
figure range. You know, you do a ton of work even after you sign the LOI and just the percentage of these deals. And I'm sure you've seen this even going from six figure into the mid seven figure. You know, those deals are a lot more work. They take a lot more time. They tend to fall through a couple of times before you get closed. But eventually, you know, you can have those deals closed. And then the other thing is that, you know, like I mentioned, you're going to be paying a bit of a premium here. But in some cases, it is a fake premium. You just want to make sure it's a real premium. I don't mind paying a premium if it's a fair market value of that business. I never want to get in a situation where somebody's just trying to play in that world. And so they're taking, like we talked about, they're putting the lipstick on the pig and turning a $4 million business into a $9 million deal. So you don't want to buy a $3 million Empire Flippers business for $8 million from some investment bank <laughs> that's put the lipstick on. I totally get it, man. <laughs> because it's on Axiom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, it's interesting, man. I mean, definitely playing with the big boys there. All right, let's do a wrap up of the episode. We talked about you know where you can find these larger deals. First, obviously, you mentioned the brokers. We talked about using your professional network. We talked about niche industry leaders. I think those are really good for seven-figure deals. I think you're going to get a lot of uh, seven-figure deals there. If you're talking eight-figure deals, again, you know, you can look at tier two competitors to mid-sized companies, maybe private equity and investment banks for some of the eight-figure deals. If you're doing research to find these deals, look for an in by either stalking the founders or the C-level team on LinkedIn, on social media, finding an in, finding mutual friends that can give you an intro rather than going to the contact page or trying to do cold email. That's going to just get you a lot more rejections or you know no responses, which are really difficult when you're trying to find the right deal. Again, you know the larger the deal, the less there are and the harder or more competitive it may be to find. And that's due to kind of the gap, the... Six-figure deals, you know, people have cash, they can buy those ones, that, even in the low seven figures. And the eight-figure, let's say 20 million plus, I mean, you got private equity investment big shopping those with business analysts spamming all day. But that like, you know, couple million up to 15 million is kind of a, an interesting area, right? You might be able to find some really sweet deals that are too small for private equity investment banks and just too big for kind of the cashed up typical buyers that are you know, shopping brokers and marketplaces. All right, Ace, that's it for this episode. I hope you dig it. Please head over to webequityshow.com and leave us a comment to let us know what you think. Please do check us out on iTunes and leave us a review when you get a chance. Next week, we'll be digging into how to use professionals to do your due diligence. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com slash gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show. 